So this week's session is called uh, What Couples Fight About. Again, the name of our Chabura is Motza o Motze. And again, gentlemen, I can't stress this enough. It's in your hands. It's in your hands. Basically, the name of our Chabura is Motza Motze because Shlomo Melch said it so well. He said, Motza Isha Motza Tov. I find the woman, I find good. What could be better? A good wife. Behind you, a team, you're unified, you're one unit, you have support, it's beautiful. However, Shlomo Melech, the wife of all men, also described women very differently. I find them more bitter than death, and that is marriage. It's either beautiful, you guys get along and create a harmonious, beautiful home, or it is very, very bitter. Now, make no mistake, there are always going to be ups and downs, and there are always going to be better times and worse times. But when you understand what you're doing, it becomes a lot easier. We mentioned, and we're going to review a little bit this evening, there are three pillars to a successful marriage. There is, number one, commitment. Commitment comes from knowing that Hashem knows what He's doing. Hashem chose the perfect one for me. She may not be the one that I would have made. If I were making my Mrs. Potato Head, I might have formed her differently. I might have shaped her differently. I might have made her with a different sense of humor, a different outlook on life. But I'm not the creator of heavens and earth, and guess what? I don't really know what's best for me. The two principles I have to remember again and again is Hashem loves me more than I love me, and Hashem knows better than I what's for my best. When I get those two principles firmly entrenched in my mind, I then say to myself, I get it. Hashem chose the ideal mate for me, the perfect match, and the perfect match to go through life with, to grow with, to become one unit, and Hashem doesn't make mistakes. When I understand that, that gives me the commitment to do the difficult work of marriage, because no matter how good your match is, no matter how good your midos are, and no matter how great your spouse's midos are, every marriage requires a tremendous amount of work. A good marriage requires a tremendous amount of work. A great marriage requires even more work than that. Work on my midos, work on learning to understand another human being, work certainly on the love of the relationship, Certainly using the tools of bond. As we mentioned, there are many tools of bond. There's attraction, infatuation, romantic love, physical intimacy, respect, appreciation, friendship. These are all the tools that have to be used, held them together. And that is the second pillar of a successful marriage. The second pillar is love. The first pillar is commitment. The second pillar is love. These are tools that bond. All of these tools lead to the final thing called love. But gentlemen, the responsibility of the husband is to romance your wife, and that middle one, romantic love, that's the husband's responsibility. And this is the middle pillar, and love is the second pillar of marriage. But the third pillar is where most of the trouble comes about, and that's in learning to live together. The third pillar of a successful marriage is learning within the heavy traffic of life, his needs, her needs, how to keep the sense of humor, how to keep the team unit, how to keep the friendship, how to learn to live together in peace and harmony, and it is not an easy thing to do. Love is the glue of the marriage, but actually learning to live together is something that requires an awful lot of skill, an awful lot of understanding, and this evening it's something we're going to touch on, more than touch on, we're going to deal with extensively. So let's begin the material for this session. The name of the session is, What Do Couples Fight About? Because I think when we understand what couples fight about, hopefully we'll understand how to avoid them, and what to do about them when the inevitable things, hurt feelings, disappointments, <laughs> rejections come about. Okay, so let's begin. The Rambam gives us a formula. 
Rambam in Hilchus Ishus, Perik gives us a formula for a successful marriage. Says the Rambam, each has their role to play. He has a role to play, she has a role to play, provided they each do their part, says the Rambam, they'll have a beautiful, noe, meshubach, wonderful, beautiful marriage. Says the Rambam, his role, what's his role to play? Our Chachamim commanded a man, and that he should honor his wife more than himself. Number one, honor his wife more than himself. Number two, he should love her as he does himself. He has two responsibilities. Number one, to honor his wife more than himself. And number two, to love her as himself. That is his role. That's his responsibility. That's his part in the formula of a successful marriage. As well, she has a role. What's her role? <clears throat> Says the Rambam, V'chein sivu chachamim, so too our chachamim commanded a woman, Shetiyah mechabedes ez bayla yoser midai. She should treat her husband with an exceeding amount of respect. Honor her husband exceedingly. But he goes on, he should be in her eyes like nobility, a prince, or someone of great stature. She doing what he wants. She should honor him exceedingly, treating him like nobility, like a prince. Says the Rambam, if they each do their part, life will be beautiful, life will be wonderful. But I'd like to spend a few minutes analyzing this Rambam because I believe he shares with us a principle, not just about a successful marriage, but about the very basic differences between men and women. And when we understand that, we'll have a much easier time being happily married. So let's analyze. Let's analyze what the Rambam tells us. He has two obligations, right? He has to honor her more than himself and has to love her as himself. Um, she has one obligation. She has to just uh, honor her husband exceeding, right? His role and her role. Now, here's the problem. The problem is he has two jobs. He has to honor his wife more than himself, love her as himself. She only has one. She has one job to play. What's that one job? And treat her husband with an exceeding amount of honor. So I'd like to ask the obvious question on this Rambam. What happened to love? Is she supposed to be in a loveless marriage? Is she supposed to just go through the motions, treat her husband with honor, but not love her. He's supposed to love her, but he, she's not supposed to love him. Okay, and so to answer this question, I think we we need to understand some of the basic mechanics, human dynamics, and that has to do with basic gender differences. So let me share with you an interesting book. I don't know if you could see this book, but here this book is in front of me over here. And this book is called Everything Men Know About Women. Now, this book became a bestseller. It sold over a million copies, Everything Men Know About Women. Now, the interesting part about the book is not only did it become a bestseller, but it became very, very well known. Why? Because if you open the book up, what you'll find is 100 blank pages. Women pick it up. They say everything men know about women, and they see 100 blank pages, and they say, Oh, <laughs> that's it, exactly. That's what I've been trying to tell you all along. That's what my husband knows about me. That's what my, Don't you get it? That's what men know about women, nothing. <laughs> and women consider it very funny. They consider it a gag book. And it, again, it sold over 100 copies. Now, well, I would like to share with you, while it may be true, 
that men don't know an awful lot about women, there's a corollary fact as well, and that is that women don't know an awful lot about men either. As a matter of fact, men don't understand women. Women don't understand men. There's only one thing that they have in common, and that is they both have selective amnesia. They completely forget how different they are. They completely forget how opposite they are, and they treat each other as if they're the same. And this becomes a great obstacle in a marriage. You treat your secretary like a guy, whatever. You treat even your daughters like guys, whatever. If you treat your wife like a guy or if a woman and treats a husband like another woman, it becomes very, very difficult for them to be happily married. And so let me share with you why I believe the Rambam says that a woman has to honor her husband exceedingly, but there's no obligation upon her to love a husband. And let's begin by studying an interesting reality, women and friendships. Now, there was many years ago, my oldest daughter had come home from school on uh, Friday, and uh, actually, we, we it was actually after the Friday night meal, as a matter of fact. I was sitting down talking, and she told me that two of her friends didn't come to school that day. I said, why not? She said, well, they were up late last night having a DMC, and uh, they were so tired that they didn't come to school. I said, what's a DMC? She said, come on, Abba, you know, a DMC, a deep, meaningful conversation. They stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning talking, sharing, communicating, and they were so tired the next day they didn't come to school. Okay. I had taught high school boys by that point for about 10 years. Never once did I watch two 16-year-old guys communicating, sharing, in their inner life, having a DMC. Not once did I see that. Why is that? And because women tend to create very powerful bonds, connections, friendships. Girls have girlfriends. They have very good friendships. They value the friendships. And it happens to be a part of a woman. You could see it at a very tender young age. Look at a six-year-old. Every six-year-old has her best friend. And heaven forfend that that best friend tells the secret. Then it's ice that best friend, time for a new best friend. But from a very tender young age... And women crave relationships, foster relationships, they develop relationships, and it's core and center to her identity. And to a woman, it's not just the essence. Often women rate themselves on how many friendships they have, how good their friendships are, what a good friend they are, because it's core and center, pivotal in our existence. As an example, I remember very vividly, I was a young man learning in Beis Medrash, and Rabbi Harris was co-rosh Shiva in Rochester at the time. And at a certain point, I said, you know, I feel kind of funny. You know, in Yeshiva, lots of friends, lots of buddies. I learn with guys, I talk with guys, but I don't have a best friend. I, I, I don't have a best friend in Yeshiva, and I feel, feel like funny. And Rabbi Harris said, what do you mean? I said, you know, I have a lot of buddies, a lot of friends, guys, but a best friend, a guy like I really connected, I don't have. Rabbi Harris looked at me and said, who has a best friend? And if you think about it, most guys don't have a best friend. And I have a very simple exercise, if you're not sure this is true or not. <clears throat> Ask a woman to name her best friend. She'll tell you right away. Ask her when the last time she spoke to her best friend. The answer is either this morning or the day before, or the day before that, but not much more distant than that. Ask a, a guy, <clears throat> name your best friend, he'll name him. When was the last time you spoke to him? Five years ago. I can tell you myself, I know that there are many people I consider good friends, and if I speak to them once a year, that's a lot. But how can it be a good friend? 
because guys don't communicate that way. They don't have that kind of need for friendships. They don't have the same craving, the same attachments. And I believe that's exactly what the Rambam is telling us. You see, the reason why the Rambam says that a woman has to treat her husband exceedingly but doesn't have to work on the love is quite simple. If a woman is satisfied in her relationship, if she feels that her husband loves her, it's instinctive and it's natural for her to love her husband. It just comes naturally to her. As long as her needs are met, as long as she knows this one principle, that her husband cherishes her, that she's number one, it's instinctive, it's natural for her to love her husband. She doesn't need a commandment, and she doesn't need to be told it. All she needs to know is that her husband cherishes her. If her needs are met, it's instinctive, it's a given that she will love her husband. And, gentlemen, this is 90% of Shalom bias. 90% of Shalom bias problems are solved if a woman knows that he cherishes me. Now, make no mistake, there are many things that women do that make it difficult for their husband to like them, let alone love them. So I can't blame the guys. But here's a simple reality. If you convey that message again and again to your wife, that you're number one, that I cherish you, that I love you more than anything, it will go so far to make your life so much happier. And it is probably the single most powerful ingredient you have in your control to change the outcome of your marriage. Because without that sense, a woman feels empty, and she feels completely like a, a ship without an anchor. She's lost. The essence of her is gone. If she doesn't feel she has a, a connection, she doesn't feel her husband loves her, if she doesn't feel that bond, she is lost. I cannot tell you how many times I get a couple in here, and I ask the guy, how's the marriage? Baruch Hashem. Ask her, how's marriage? It's terrible, it's horrible. Wait, you guys married, like, to each other? And it's invariably the woman who's unsatisfied with the relationship. It's a woman who's not happy. He has to do one thing. Let her know that she's cherished, and most problems go away. Now, again, I'm not telling you it's all the guy's fault, because, again, there's a lot of things that women do that make it difficult on their husbands. But, gentlemen, no one understands that power is in your hands. So she has one obligation. Her one obligation is to treat him with exceeding amounts of honor. Now, again, I get it. He's got two jobs. And what he's got to do has to honor her more than himself, and he has to love her as himself. I get that. It's not as natural for a man to love his wife. Hazal had to give him a commandment to love, to work on it. I get it. And she needs it, so I get it. She didn't have to be commanded in that because that's instinctive to her. But here's the next question on the Rambam. Why does she have to treat him with exceeding amounts of honor? He has to honor her more than himself. Okay, good, I got that. But she, when it comes to honor, that's her only obligation, and she's got to treat him with exceeding amounts of honor. How do we understand that part? And if you'd like to understand that part, I'd like to share with you a very interesting observation that most women completely fundamentally miss. And that is a man needs to be respected. A man can do very well if he doesn't know that his wife cherishes him, that she loves him. If a man doesn't receive a single love note, a single card, his entire marriage, he'll probably do okay. But if he doesn't feel that his wife respects him, if he doesn't feel that she admires him and honors him, it's going to be very, very difficult, but even more than that. At any given point, if he feels that she disrespects him, then life is going to be very, very difficult. 
And women don't understand that, and women don't get that, because they treat their husbands as they do their girlfriends. And my girlfriend wouldn't be bothered if I did this. Why is he getting so huffy? And I can't tell you how many times guys will say to me, I'll do anything for her. I had a guy tell me, of course I'll clean the kitchen. Just don't stand over me. Tell me, pick this up, do that, take the broom. I'll do it. Give me, give me a little space. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. But why is he such a, uh, why is he such a brat? What's the big deal? So I told him to do it this way. I told him to do it. Why is he acting? I'll tell you why. Because when you treat your husband like he's a child, he doesn't feel good about himself, about you, about the relationship, and he doesn't really want to be doing what you want him to do. And when women are very, very helpful, and they treat their husbands like they do their girlfriends, it's very, very difficult, and it becomes a very, very big problem in the marriage. But I want to explain to you why am I telling you this. This is a class for men. This is the Chassan's Chabura. And why am I telling you that women need to treat a husband with exceeding amounts of honor, and if she doesn't treat him right, I'd like to explain to you why. Number one, I want you to understand what you need as a person, because most of the time when we guys get angry, upset, or hurt by our spouses, we're not able to articulate it. But I want to explain to you even more important. What happens when you get into a fight? Listen, it's inevitable. In the best of marriages, it happens. He said, she said, before you know it, things are said, before you know it. Okay. So they each said their part. They each said the words. And each has their own way to react to it. But I'd like to guarantee one thing. Both of you are upset, and both of you are hurt, and both of you are in pain. But what you're going to experience is going to be very, very different. The voice in your head is going to play a very different recording than it will play in the head of your spouse. And let me explain to you what I mean. You will each experience a very different reality. She will experience the following. The minute they get into a fight, the minute words are said, she will have over and over the tape recorder in her brain saying the words, he doesn't love me. He will also have a tape playing in in his brain, but it's not going to be she doesn't love me. It's going to be why is she so disrespectful? Why? I never speak that way. Why does she say those words? Why does she act that way? I act with what? But do you understand why? Because what a woman needs is love, and a man needs is respect. And the minute you get into a quarrel about any issue, no matter what it is, no matter who, no matter how, automatically she's going to feel he doesn't love me. He's going to feel she doesn't respect me. And, And by the way, this is a very, very important point to understand. Because when you understand what you're each feeling, you can A, understand how to extricate yourself from that mess, B, you could articulate to your spouse particularly what's bothering you. Once things settle down, once things are calm, you'll be able to explain what about those actions, what about those words bother you. But if you're not able to identify it, it's very, very difficult to do. But understanding this, you sowed. What a woman needs is to be cherished, to be loved. What a man needs is to be respected, or at least certainly not to be disrespected. And that is the key element in any fight. That's what's going to be playing in your brain, what's going to be playing in her brain, when you understand that you're a step ahead of the game. But before we continue, I want to ask you a very, very important question. And that very important question is, what is worth fighting about? Okay, listen, this is a serious thing called life, 
And you're going to deal with many, many issues. Chinuch of your kids, money, <coughs> vacations, whether you buy this house or that apartment, whether you go here or there. There are many, many, many issues that you're going to be dealing with in life. What is worth fighting about? Okay, where do you draw the line of sand? And what's worth putting up the stink? So I'd like to share with you, what is worth fighting about? The answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And you know why nothing? It's really quite simple. If you fight with your spouse, let's just do the math. Let's say you lose. If you lose, you lose because you lost the fight. But let's even say you win. Well, if you win, you also lose. Why? And because it's your best friend and lover that you just beat up, that you just vanquished. And guess what? She is not going to be very appreciative of it, is not going to be very loving about it, and is not going to make a great partner at that moment. And that's why you have to understand the very first principle of fighting in marriage is don't do it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. And what that means in plain, simple language is if you have an issue, what you do is you discuss, you negotiate, you compromise, you find a way. But fighting is never, ever, ever worth it. However, when I say don't fight, that's the advice that I give to couples. Husband and wife together, I advise them not to fight. But to guys, I have a much more specific point. I would like to give you guys a wise piece of advice. Don't fight. Don't fight for a very simple reason. Don't fight because I guarantee you're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're fighting against an eighth-degree black belt. Um, and let me just make it very clear. This is her, that high kick. She's got a down pat, and this is you. Don't fight her. Don't fight her. Why? She'll remind you about everything you did wrong since you were in diapers and maybe before. She's got your number. She's got your track. And she can repeat everything that went wrong since my subberations. And that's a very odd fact. Isn't that interesting? Don't fight with your wife because she's going to win because she'll remember every detail. Now, that's rather odd. Why? Because women don't have better memories than men. They do all kinds of studies now on any scholastic index, on any academic index. Men and women perform about the same. Women don't have better memories for math or for science or for history. Yet when it comes to the marriage, they remember every single detail, and the guys can't even remember what they had for breakfast yesterday. How could it be? Why is that? Isn't that strange? So I'd like to answer for you this dilemma. Let's imagine we have a typical husband and wife, and unfortunately they get into a fight. Okay, good. Let's ask each of them the following question. You got into a fight, he went to work, she went to either stay home or she went to work, you each went about your business that day. How many times that day did you think about the fight? Okay, how many times during the day did you think about it? So if we were to ask uh, him, the husband, husband would say, how many times I think about the fight? Um, I didn't. Um, I, I don't know. We were in a fight? I forgot. Uh, uh. Okay, good. Let's say you would ask her, how many times did you think about the fight during the day? How many times did I think about it? I couldn't stop thinking about it all day long. I kept thinking and thinking, kept coming back to my brain. When I was doing the laundry, I was putting the kids to sleep. I, kept, I couldn't stop thinking about it. My brain was constantly working on it. Gentlemen, do you know why women remember every detail so much more accurately? Because it impacts them so much more again and again. It 
plays in their brain, it plays in their brain. How could she forget? It's such a part of her life. And the relationship is so vital to her existence. Her connection to her husband is so important to her. And the words he said to her were so painful, how can she not repeat them again and again and again, like a tape recorder in her brain playing over and over? How could he say those words? How could he say those words? How could he say those words? Now, keep in mind, she said some mighty nasty words also. In fact, she might have started the fight, and she might have said ten things far more, far worse and far more damaging than he ever did, but that part she's not going to remember. That's human nature. You know, what I say to you is just words. What you say to me, out, that hurts. And because a woman remembers every detail, gentlemen, don't fight with your wife. But I want to share with you why it is that it's going to play like a tape in her brain. Why is it that every detail of the fight she's going to think about and dwell on and dwell on and dwell on, and like a movie is going to play over and over? It's really a very important principle. It's a Gemar Mbamatsiya, Amarav. Laolam ye adam zahir ba'onos ishto. A man should always be careful not to oppress, not to offend his wife. Why? Because her tears are more readily found. Her oppression is more readily found. And Rashi explains what that means. A person should be careful not to oppress, not to offend his wife, because the punishments are much more readily available for the wrong things you say to your wife because they hurt her much more. You see, what Chazal are telling us is that the nature of a woman is to be more sensitive. The words hurt her much more. And our tears are more readily available, not because she's a crybaby, but because they fundamentally hurt her to a much greater degree. She's not a crybaby. She feels the pain much more intensely. And gentlemen, this is an important concept to understand. She really does feel it. She really does feel it much more acutely, intensely, profoundly than you do. It will hurt her more. It'll dig into her more. And it will sear the essence of her to a much greater extent than it will ever hurt you. And the reason not to fight with your wife is because you never win. You always lose. And the reason not to fight with your wife is because you certainly will lose if you're male. But the reason not to fight with your wife is because of the damage that it does. It really cuts into the essence of her. And she might have started the fight, and she may have said things that are far more damaging than you, but your words will penetrate more deeply, and your words are going to cut into the essence of her, and it's going to cause scarring, and it's going to cause a lot, a lot of damage. And you have to remember that when you're in the thick and thin of things, and you have to remember that when you're trying to extricate, when you're trying to get out of things, but here's rule number one again. Rule number one is don't fight. Don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. But I want to explain to you that there's another principle that we're going to learn from here that may be even more important. The second principle is one of the best ways to prevent a fight. So to do this part, let me just remind you of something that we discussed in last session or the session before, and that is the two most important words in your marriage, right? What are the two most important words in your marriage? And everybody has an answer to that. It's yes, dear, please, thank you, or good morning, or I was wrong, or I'm sorry, what do you think? And I don't believe it's true. I believe the two most important words in your marriage are the words that's strange. As I mentioned, every scientific discovery was preceded by an expression. Everyone assumes that expression was eureka, I've discovered it, but it's not true. 
Every scientific discovery was preceded by an expression of that strange. A guy took chemical X, chemical Y, mixed it, expected Z, and got A. That's strange. And suddenly he began uncovering the mechanics. He started studying the mechanism, and he started understanding something he didn't understand before. When you say the words, that's strange, you open yourself up to the scientific curiosity to actually understand your spouse. Because when you say that's strange, you stop. You say them to yourself again. Remember, please, and not to your spouse. When your wife does one of those things that's inexplicable, something that's so harebrained or something that's so out of control, she's so flighty, before you say a word, you say to yourself, that's strange. She's a grounded, mature person. Why would she react that way? Why would she get so offended? And why would she get so carried away? There's nothing to be nervous about, nothing to be excited about. Why is she doing it? And if you say the words, that's strange, you can then begin climbing into her inner world, begin to understand what makes her tick, and begin to understand what she's about. And that we discuss the two most important words in your marriage. But this evening, I'd like to discuss another phrase that I call the next most important word in your marriage. The next most important word in your marriage after that strange is a very interesting term, and that term is the words, Ouch, ouch, ouch. You see, ouch is a legitimate expression of pain. Ouch means, ouch, that hurt. Ouch, that was painful. But would you like to know why ouch is so helpful? Here's a very, very critical observation. Your wife said something that was really nasty, cutting, and just like outrageous. She did something that was so hurtful. I have a very important question to ask you. Why did she do it? Why did she do something like that? She's a nice person. Normally she's very caring. Normally very giving. Why in the world would she do something so nasty, so cruel, and so just insensitive? So we have a choice. Maybe um, she's a sadist. That could be. Could be she's a sadist or maybe a narcissist. You know, that could be. It's a possibility but I have a much more likely possibility. The much more likely possibility is she didn't have a clue that it would hurt you. She didn't have a clue that it bothered you. Otherwise, she never would have done it. And why in the world did she do that? Why in the world did she say it? Because she didn't have a clue that this would bother you. She didn't have a clue that you were sensitive to this. She's a woman. You're a guy. She's one person. You're a different person. And she didn't have a clue. And when you say the words, ouch, suddenly, oh, the light bulbs go off. Wait a minute. I, I didn't know you'd be offended, but I know you'd be hurt, but I, I didn't I didn't even know. And assuming she's a nice person, which she is, and when she sees you in pain, she'll stop. And instead of doubling down, she'll pull back and say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize. But do you understand how most fights start? And most fights start because instead of saying, ouch, I do the normal reaction. My wife said something offensive, or she forgot to do something, or she did something, whatever it may be, and what happens is, it hurt me. I don't say, ouch, I get upset. And either I get angry, or I get nasty, or I get cutting, or I get cold and distant. There are many, many clever and creative ways that people react to pain. But one thing for sure, I make it vividly and graphically apparent to my spouse that I am not pleased with her. Now, here's the problem. She doesn't have a clue. If she knew what she did was offensive, she never would have done it. 
She doesn't have a clue that she said or did something that was hurtful to me. And I, instead of saying ouch and letting her know that it was hurtful, she gets back this reaction, this anger or snappiness or coldness or distant, whatever my personal way of doing it is. And suddenly she sees, oh, my goodness, where's this guy coming from? I'm just acting regular. And out of nowhere, he starts getting distant or cold or angry or snappy or snivy or bitter. What's with this guy? So what does she do? She doesn't say, ouch. She gets upset and she reacts. And she reacts as she does again. And she has her choice and her flavor. Again, she might be bitter or distant or angry or snappy or whatever it may be. And she reacts. Now watch this one. Not only does she come in and offend me and hurt my feelings, she then doubles down on it and repeats and gets even worse. And she gets more bitter and sniping and attacking and, oh, my goodness. So what happens to me? I've now received more of the same. I'm going to go back to my flavor. Again, bitter or biting or sarcastic, whatever it may be. And before you know it, throw, throw, punch, punch, kick, kick. And with 65,000 steps down the road, and no one has a clue to how we got there. Do you understand the beauty of saying, ouch? If instead of reacting, you just say the words, ouch, it stops things right there. Because your wife is a nice person. She's not mean. She's not nasty. She's not a selfish brat. She didn't have a clue that that would bother you. She didn't have a clue that you were sensitive to it. And the reason should be obvious. Number one, she's different than you. And number two, she's female. When you say the words, ouch, what you're doing is you're stopping the fight right in the track before it starts. Say the word, ouch, and you don't have to go through all the steps. You don't have to go through all the stuff that happens. And that is a tremendous lesson to understand. But let's begin with a much more important lesson, the fundamental lesson that I believe is the main focus of this evening's work. And that is, I'd like to ask you the main big deal question. What is it that couples fight about? What do couples fight about? Now, my friends, this question, if you get this right, life is beautiful. If you get this wrong, life is very, very difficult. So ask your friends, ask your mother, ask your father, ask people, what do couples fight about? And you're going to hear a list of issues. It's money and in-laws and children and religion and respect and love and all kinds of things. I'd like to share with you all of the issues, all of the issues are never, ever, ever what couples fight about. And there's only one thing. It's never the issue. It's always the hurt feelings. It's never the coming on time or the neatness or the socks on the floor or the bouncing the check or the leaving the toilet paper this way or that way. It's that you don't care about me. If you loved me, you would never do that. If you respected me, you would never do that. It's always the feeling. It's never the issue. And mature people don't fight about issues. And by the way, if you're married, I want you to ask the following question. What was the last thing you fought about? And it's embarrassing because you're a mature adult and couples never fight about big stuff. They fight about the minutiae, the tiny, stupid, most ridiculous things at all. And you ask yourself, how could it be? We're two mature people. We're made up to live in peace and harmony, and we love each other, and we really do care about each other, and we're fighting about the stupidest, most mundane, trivial thing. What is going on? And the answer is, it's never the issue. It's never the issue. It's always the feeling. And once you understand that, you understand what the fight is about. 
the fight is because I feel you don't care. If you're a woman, he doesn't love me. If you're a man, she doesn't respect me. Whatever the issue is, is only relevant because it hurt my feelings. And once you understand that, you understand the essence of the fight, and you understand what to avoid. You see, if you give in on all the issues, all right, well, you do it your way. Okay, fine, we'll do it your way. After saying, he said, she said, finally you give in. Okay, you have it. And she's not satisfied. What's with it? Why? I gave in. To, I gave in. Why? Now, why aren't you happy? I gave in. We're going to do it your way. Now you're not happy? Why aren't you happy now? It's is simple. It's not the issue. It's not whether we go to your parents or my parents for the Seder. It's not whether we're going to spend money on this or that. It's that you don't care about me. You're not machshim me. You don't love me. You don't really respect me. It's always the hurt feeling. And when you understand that, you understand the essence of the fight. And then you're able to, A, avoid the fight, and B, when it happens, you're able to extricate yourself. Which brings us to the next part of our discussion this evening, the art of the apology. Now, this is something, gentlemen, i got to bring you up to speed on this one. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to do it again and again and again. Because, gentlemen, I got news to you. It's part of a successful marriage. Let's be very blunt. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. If you were perfect, if I were perfect, we'd be done our jobs here, and it'd be time to leave. It'd be safe, safe from the shalom. Hopefully, we've got work to do, which means I'm not perfect. Which means, by definition, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things that were hurtful. I'm going to forget things that are important to my spouse. I'm going to... And do things that are really, really troubling, bothering, and my spouse is going to, in my estimation, overreact, overreact. She's going to go crazy, a flighty dame. All I did was, hmm? and she went, the fireworks, she's clearly overreact. She's clearly emotional. And what does I'll say about that? You're done right, she's emotional, because it hurts her more, and she really is feeling that. And unless you come full circle to understand it, that it really is hurting her. And it's not that she's flighty and she's a woman and she's just a a woman. That's a woman. If you're going to have that attitude, you're going to have a tough time being happily married. As a woman will have a tough time saying he's just a guy, cold, cruel, cold, callous. She's going to have a tough time being happily married. And you're going to have the attitude she's a woman, ah, flighty, dame, ah, whatever, you know, emotional wrecks, whatever they are, nervous ninnies. You're going to have a tough time being successfully married, but more than anything, you're not being fair because she really is feeling something that you don't feel, and she really is insulted or hurt or bothered, whatever it may be. It really does feel something, and she experiences something that you don't. And therefore, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings, but it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes. She's going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. and both going to make mistakes, and you're going to have to man up and apologize. Now, the art of the apology is quite difficult to master because, you see, apologizing means saying the words, I, 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 um, I, uh, I, I wasn't right. I mean, I, 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 I was, it's kind of odd, no? I know I was wrong. She knows I was wrong. I know that she knows that I was wrong, but I can't say the words. I, 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 I
because it takes a lot of moral fortitude. It takes a lot of courage to stand up and say, I was wrong. We were fighting. I was, ye- I was yelling as if I was 100% right. And she attacked me and boom, boom, boom. And I really felt right. And I really felt justified. And I really was wrong. And I know it. But to actually man up and say the words, I was wrong, requires real raw courage. And it is one of the greatest life exercises and one of the greatest self-growth tools that you will ever encounter. It's very easy to say I was wrong when it wasn't a big deal. Oh, I'm so sorry I slipped. But that's not when you got to say I was wrong. It's when she said and I said and I said and she said and we started, words started and the quarrel started, the bickering started, and I was really digging my heels in and then to stop and let things cool down and recognize the fact that I was wrong and actually say the words I was wrong Ooh, ain't so easy to do, but it is one of the keys to a successful marriage and one of the greatest exercises you'll ever do in self-growth. But you have to know how to apologize. So I would like to share with you um, the art of the apology. So the first step in the art of the apology is to recognize one simple reality. What is it that you're apologizing for, right? What is it? Okay, I'm going to say I was wrong. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to say I'm sorry for what I did. But what is it that I'm apologizing for? And, gentlemen, you have to get this clear in your mind. It's not the issue. If you apologize about the issue from today till tomorrow, you're going to accomplish nothing. I'm sorry I was late. I'm sorry I left my socks on the floor. I'm sorry I bounced a check. I'm sorry I didn't let you spend money on this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If you apologize for the issue, you blew it. You might as well waste your breath. You might as well spit in the wind. You're wasting your time. You're not apologizing for the issue. You're apologizing for the pain. You're the most precious thing in the world to me. I love you more than anything, and it's clear that I've hurt you. And I feel terrible. I let you down. I disappointed you. I hurt you. And I feel terrible that I did it. Please forgive me for hurting you, for causing you the pain. But you see, do you understand the difference? It's not the issue. It's not the time that I came late or the money or the my place or your place, it's not the words, it's always the hurt feelings. And when you understand that, you understand the first rule is I'm not apologizing for the issue, I'm apologizing for the pain that I caused you. And you're the most precious thing in the world to me. And the worst thing in the world for me is to think that I hurt you, and clearly I have, I've disappointed you, and I feel terrible about that. Please forgive me for the pain that I've caused you. Rule number one is, everybody apologizes for not the issue, but the pain. And now we're on to rule number two of the apology. And, and to understand rule number two, let me share with you an interesting uh, experience that I had. It was a number of years ago, I was driving on the highway, and I saw the uh, lights in back of me, the siren. I pulled over to the side of the road, and I realized I was speeding. The highway policeman uh, walks over to the side of my uh, car. I roll down the window. I keep both hands where they're supposed to be on the steering wheel. And uh, I say, good evening, officer. He looks at me and goes, you know why I pulled you over? I said, officer, I was speeding. I apologize. There's no excuse. He was silent. He said, what? I said, officer, I was speeding. There's no excuse. I apologize. 
He stood there and stared at me. Now you have to understand, this is a highway policeman. He has more excuses than a sixth grade teacher about it, not getting homework put, handed in, right? And I just said the words, I was wrong. What I did was wrong. There was no excuse. And, and, and I apologize. He went back to his car. A few moments later, came back with a citation. He said, this is a warning not to speed. Please be more careful next time. And he gave me the citation, not a ticket, but a citation of going too fast. I took that citation and I put it in a frame on my, in my storeroom room. And it sat there for years. It sat there for years because I considered it a degree. I considered it a conferred degree that I had graduated a level in the school of Musser. It took me 20 years of learning Musser to say the words, I was wrong and there is no excuse. I was wrong and there is no excuse. And gentlemen, and this is the second rule of the apology. The first rule of apology is you're not apologizing the issue, it's the pain. And the second issue, the second rule of the apology is don't ruin a good apology with a but. You know, I came late, but. I <clears throat> disappointed you, but. Do you understand what the but does? I want to explain to you what the but does. You see, the apology says, I was wrong. What I did was uncalled for. What I did wasn't right. What I did was wrong. The but says, but, under the circumstances, under these conditions, in this situation, I was right. But do you understand what she's going to hear? You see, it's not bad enough that this creep caused me to pain. It's not bad enough that he was so insensitive to hurt my feelings and really, really caused me anguish and pain. But now he's telling me that what he did was justified under the circumstances correct and that he's right. You know what that means? It means he just doesn't care. He just is a cruel creep. And what's wrong with guy? Do you understand what I'm saying? And when you're saying, I'm sorry, when you're saying, I did was wrong, and, and, and there's no excuse for it. When I say, but, what I'm saying is no, but under the circumstances, under these conditions, uh, it, it was justified and it was right. Now, make no mistake, Tim, we, we all do it. And we do it because we think it makes it easier for it to hear. Listen, I don't want you to think I left you out there in the cold because I don't care about you. I had a very important meeting with my boss, and and it meant my job, and you know how important this project is. And, and so the reason why I was late was because of this. And that's exactly what I mean. And to me, it seems to lessen the crime. It seems to make it easier for it to be soulful, and seems to be part of the apology. But that's not what she hears. You see, the reason why she is so upset is not because she was standing in the cold, but because it means I don't care about her. It means I value things more than her. Her feelings don't matter. Leaving her out there, being abandoned doesn't matter. I don't really care. I don't cherish her. That's what she's feeling. She's feeling the pain of being abandoned, not cared for. Now, it's not what I meant, not what I intended. And obviously, she can't really think that, can she? Oh, yes, she can. And she will feel it. And more than anything, she's going to feel she's not loved. That's for sure, because if he really loved me, he never would. If I had a dollar, if every time women say the words, if you love me, you would, I'd be a wealthy individual. And by the way, I'm happily married, Baruch Hashem. And for the first 20 years of my marriage, I heard those words often. If you really love no, I really love you. But, okay, anyway, but here's the point. What she hears in very loud, clear terms is he doesn't care about the pain that he caused me. And what she feels so badly about is that he doesn't care, he doesn't cherish me, 
and the pain she feels is because she feels abandoned. She feels very, very hurt. Now, watch what happens. What I say to her is, listen, it's not that I don't care about you, and not that I don't care about you being left in the cold, but you have to understand, and my boss needed this report, and I could have lost my job. Oh, you, what you're telling me is what you did was right. You tell me leaving me in the cold was okay. Under these circumstances, under these conditions, I mean, your boss comes first. It's like everything. Everything comes first before me. The kids come before me, and your boss comes before me, and your shear comes before me, and everything comes before me. And all of a sudden, she starts carrying on worse. No, no, no. I'm just saying my boss needed it. Oh, you're saying you're right. Gentlemen, do you hear what I'm saying? And if you're not married, maybe you won't know this scenario. But if you're married and you've ever gone through this, you'll see exactly this time after time. Don't ruin a good apology with a but. You say the words, I was sorry, and there's no excuse. You're the most precious thing in the world to me. And the worst thing in the world for me is to hurt you. All I want to do is protect you, make you happy. And I feel so bad that I've hurt you. I, there, there's no excuse. And then you're quiet. You don't say a word. And if it works, great. If not, you say it again. And you say it a second time. And a third time. And a fourth time. I made a guy apologize 100 times. 100 times saying the exact same words again and again. But why? Why can't you just accept it the first time? The second, the third, what is our problem? Our problem is that pain doesn't just go away. Pain doesn't just evaporate. You said the word, you're sorry, but she still feels the pain. And she doesn't really feel that you're that sincere. Because if you really cared, you wouldn't have caused me the pain originally. And you're not really that sincere. I'm telling you, you may have to say the words again and again, a second time, a third time, <coughs> a fifth time, and it may take more. But you never add the but. You say the words, you're the most precious thing in the world to me. I value you more than anything. And the worst thing for me is to think that I hurt you, and clearly I have. I feel terrible. Please forgive me for what I've done wrong. And no but. Don't ruin a good apology with a but. And that's the second rule. And, and gentlemen, these rules I want you to understand are the basics to a successful marriage. Because every marriage has things. No matter how aligned you guys are, no matter how much you share life values, no, no matter how much you love each other, inevitably in the heavy traffic of life, things are going to be said, people are going to be hurt, and things are going to come about. When you understand the basics of relationships, and you understand that men and women are fundamentally different. You understand that a woman needs to be cherished, she needs to be loved, and a man needs to be respected and at least not disrespected. Any fight that happens, you're each going to come out singing different songs. She's going to sing the song, he doesn't love me. You're going to sing the song, and why is she so disrespectful? When you understand that, you'll A, understand how to be much more sensitive. What she needs to hear is that you love her again and again and again, and you have to be incredibly sensitive to anything that gives the opposite message. And she's going to hear it louder than you could ever say it. And it's because I'll tell her she's very sensitive to the pain. That means the words you say, your actions, your deeds are going to be interpreted with a magnifying glass. And you're going to say, why are you being so picky? Why are you being so demanding? What are you being so sensitive about? He's being so sensitive about because that's her nature. And Chazal give us a warning. The punishments come more often, more quickly, because the pain is more egregious. So Chazal warns us, be very, very careful about the pain you cause your wife. He has his role, and she has his. He has to respect her as he does more than himself, love her as he does himself. She has her role. And she has to treat him with exceeding amounts of honor. When they both do their part, they have a beautiful marriage. 
but you also have to know the nature of each of you are different. You have to know the essence of you are different. You have to work on the various parts of marriage. There are three pillars to a successful marriage. The first pillar is commitment. Commitment allows you to keep on doing the hard work, keep on getting up, keep on doing what needs to be done. Love is the second pillar. That's all the things that a couple in love should be doing. Gentlemen, your job is romantic love, but there's so much more to it. There's friendship, there's attraction, there's infatuation. And we may do a little bit more. I may do a bonus series on how to fall in love with your wife and stay in love. I have a mind maybe doing it. We'll see if I'm able to record it. But working on all the tools that bond, using all of them, is essential because these, this is the middle pillar in love. But the third pillar is the key. The third pillar is learning to live together because many couples are very committed and they love each other. But it's the learning to live together part that gives them a lot of trouble. And learning to live together means learning that your spouse is different than you. She has different needs and different requirements, different interests and different aspirations, and more than anything, different things that really, really bother her, different things that are really, really important to her, and different things that will cause her pain. She has to learn what causes you pain, and your job is to learn what causes her pain, and to learn to avoid it, and to learn not to say, well, she's just overreacting. She's just getting carried away. She's just being a girl. It is true. She's being a girl. She's more sensitive. She feels more acutely. And just watch what happens when you get into a fight. She'll remember every detail, every detail that you ever said, anything you ever said 20 years ago. I had a woman in my office one time, and she was repeating things. And I said, man, it was 20 years ago that you said that. 20 years. What? She feels it. Why does she feel it? Because again and again, repeating in her mind are the words he said, the things he did. Why? Because it makes such an indelible imprint on her essence. It's the relationship that's so key to her survival, to her happiness. And it's her husband who said it. And it's so hurtful, so painful, she can't help but repeat it again and again. You're going to forget the fight the minute you go to work. She will not forget it. Forget it. She'll never forget it. It's over and over. Gentlemen, don't fight with your wife. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're fighting with an eighth-degree black belt. Don't do it. There's nothing worth fighting about. Compromise, negotiate, debate, discuss. Come up with ways. My way, your way, we'll find a way. Your friends in this thing called life, your best friends who love each other. I have to remember the tools that bond. You have to remember that you're best friends. You have to understand that you're going to inevitably hurt each other. When you do, number one, understand it's the pain. It's never the issue. Focus on the pain, and you'll know exactly what to avoid the next time. And you'll know what bothers her, and you'll also know what to apologize for. When you're apologizing, it's never the issue. It's always the pain. And when you're apologizing, it requires courage. It requires real, real fortitude to get up there and say, I was wrong, but you got to know how to do it. Number one, what you're apologizing for is never the issue. It's always the pain. Never ruin a good apology with a but. The apology tells her how sorry you are. The but tells her that it was okay. Remember those words, ouch. Ouch is a very important word to use in your marriage. And that strange is the first of the very important words to use. Because when you say that strange, you're able to step back and use scientific curiosity and understand your spouse on a better level. Ouch serves a very different purpose. Ouch cuts the fight off at the pass. And when she said something that's hurtful, or she forgot, or she did, whatever it may be, and you're really hurt, when you say the words ouch, you're letting your spouse into your inner world. You're helping understand something that she didn't understand. She's not mean, vindictive, cruel. Why did she do it? 
she did it because she didn't realize it hurt you. And when you say, ouch, what you're doing is expressing a legitimate sense of pain. A nice person will react to it by saying, oh my goodness, I didn't realize it was going to hurt you. Unfortunately, we don't react that way. And we come up with our entire litany of responses, anything from bitter to sarcasm to nasty to cutting to being distant to being cold, whatever your flavor is. And what she hears is out of no, she didn't know she did anything wrong. She would never have done it. So what she hears is for no reason whatsoever, he's acting bitter and cold and nasty. She gives back. You get back before you know it. You're 30 steps down the, the pathway. And the words, ouch, are essential. And more than anything, you have to daven. You have to ask Hashem again and again for help. Shalom bias is beautiful. It's the most harmonious and beautiful relationship. A woman and a man are supposed to be closer than any other relationship. But it requires a lot of work. And more than anything, it requires a lot of siyat rishmaya. You have to daven. You have to work very hard. You have to daven very hard. And please review these sessions. There's much other material. Please make sure you get the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes book if you haven't had it. Read it and read it again. Get the book. Get the book and read it. Read it again. Read it twice. Read it together with your spouse. If you're not a reader or you can't read, get the video book. You go on the schmooze.com, get the video book. I took the essence of the book and I made 50 short animated videos. You go to the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, and get the book or the video book, maybe both, but go over it again and again. Do it with your spouse and not your spouse. And when you do it, it becomes part of you. You understand your spouse much better, and you work on the marriage, you dominate, and Hashem helps. And Hashem grants you much success, much shalom bias, and Hashem grants you a beautiful, harmonious life together. And now I will, as long as my voice lasts, open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. Um, if anyone wants to raise a hand, they can. If not, you can just type the question in if you're shy. And I'll be very happy not to take any questions because my voice is all but shot anywho. So no one has questions. That's also fine. And if you have a question, you can feel free to ask it. Okay. Uh, okay. You have the floor. Uh, thank you so much for what this fire service to us. You're such a blessing. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Um, all right. Um, I'm glad. I appreciate the, uh, the thank you, and I greatly appreciate it. This class really was for men. I was doing the men's side of it. Um, it's not, I guess it's not bad for women to listen to, but again, keep in mind, this is the husband's role, and this is the chassan's chabur, which is really geared to the men. But, okay. Um, uh, do you have some, I'm sorry, you have another point to say? I apologize. Is that just that my husband sounded wonderful and he wanted me to thank you. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> excellent. Okay, very good. Thank you. And then in that case, I doubly thank you. Thank you. Okay, excellent. Okay, good. Good. Very good. All right. And if anyone has questions in the future, please feel free. You can email me, Rebbe at the schmooze.com, R-E-B-B-E at the schmooze.com. Again, please go to the schmooze.com. On the front, you'll see on the top there's an ad for the video book a banner for the book itself. You can get it. Just remember, it's spelled funny, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. I wish you much, much atzlacha, much bracha, and I hope to see you shortly. Have a beautiful, beautiful week. Thank you.